From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Welcome to Needle Exchange, conversations on the art of thread. Jane Sanders, also known as Stitching in the Kitchen, has made a name for herself with her machine-embroidered, mixed-media, pop portraits. I've been a fan of Jane from the moment she appeared, and her ability to capture the essence of her subjects, many of whom are famous and much-loved around the world, is truly sublime. Jane's hippie-punk foundations underpin her artistic mindset, and among other things, we talk about the joy of communal art projects and the challenges of commissioned work. As with all needle exchanges, you can get up close and personal with Jane's art on our YouTube channel, and you'll find links to her website and socials in the show notes. Jane is a huge talent, and it feels like she's on the edge of global recognition. So remember where you heard her first. Enjoy the show. Are you no longer stitching in the kitchen? No, I've moved house, but ironically, now I've got like the spare room that's like a but it's actually bloody smaller than what I had before because when I was in the kitchen I could like spread out over all the countertops and the kitchen table and now I'm confined so really I've shot myself in the foot but I still call myself stitching in the kitchen because it still represents I think the fact that you can make beautiful things but you don't need this flash git white Instagram studio you can still make it in a domestic setting the corner of your bedroom the cupboard room where I am now, wherever. Is it because you're a punk? I'm either a punk or a hippie. I'll let you decide which one. Because it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because by by saying stitching in the kitchen, I'm going to sound all serious all of a sudden, but oh, by saying stitching off. in the kitchen, you're grounding yourself. You're going, do you know what? I'm not, yeah. not frou-frou, ha-ha. I know. You're keeping it real. And I feel like keeping it real is part of your thing. Um, I think it is because I hate pretension in art. And ultimately, you're selling a luxury item in a recession. So it's like you, you can't, I, it really bugs me when people go on and on about abstract art and, you know, how you've got to understand it and, you know, this kind of like Brian Sewell type talk. Really, if you're making something and you want to make a business out of selling it, it's got to look good on someone's wall. We can all go into the Tate Modern and see these like highly like theoretical pieces do you want it on your wall in the bedroom? No, you don't. So life's serious enough. You haven't got to, like, you know, go around banging your head with a hammer, have you? I love that you use that voice. I use that voice quite <laughs> a lot myself. Yeah. It's a perfect one to talk. Uh, how are you? 
Yes, I'm all right. I'm perpetually tired like every other person in this country. But no, I'm good. I'm excited about the work that I'm doing. Um, things seem to be ramping up. I'm getting more sales. I'm getting a few more works in exhibitions. Because despite doing this for five years, uh, it's slow. The process and the progress of it is slow. Because I think ultimately I do pop art and it's hard for people to take pop art seriously. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you got the double blow of doing pop art and mm -hmm. then doing textile art. Yeah. But I see that as good because really what you're always trying to do is create something that nobody has ever seen before. You're trying to make a unique item. So, I mean, I don't know how many people have seen like a sewn picture of Elton John. So, you know, in many ways you've got a unique item there. But, um, yeah. So, so you, it's like a sort of rage against the machine situation where you've got the industrial art complex and then you've got you. Yes, I think so. And I think it's just hard to make a living out of art. And I think it's hard to get yourself seen anyway in life. But uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah, I feel like you are. Like I was I scrolled back through your Insta yeah. all the way back to 2016. And it was like the mm -hmm. the momentum's definitely there because what you've done three of your own shows i've done three solo shows in the northeast yeah um so they were the ones that i just did off my own back right bollocks to this i'm just going to do an exhibition myself and then a lot of that stuff sold and then as i got more known as i was doing a piece thankfully it would sell so now for me to do a solo show it's quite hard to build up stock because now i'm like financially uh, reliant on it I can't just say oh do you mind if I just keep this picture for like a whole year you know <laughs> until this <laughs> exhibition comes up so I just sell as I go and that's all right I'm okay with that and I like being in group shows yeah. and competitions are good when they come off so yeah so that's fine let's go back to the start let's then. go so, right back to the beginning let's go right right back, right back. I always say that there was a bright light <laughs> and someone slapped me on the bum <laughs> I don't quite don't necessarily mean it quite that far um you did art and design training, art training. Well, if we want to take it right back. Right back. I do. Right back. Oh, yeah, oh so God. I don't know how old you are. How old are you? Uh, four, 48. Oh, you're a baby, man. Um, I'm 49. So, like, we're, we're <laughs> kids of the 70s. So in the 70s, yeah, yeah. like, handicrafts was, like, the thing to do. It was in my house as mm. well, you know, growing up two girls. So no health and safety in the 70s, as you know. So my mum had a, a Singer sewing machine and it used to be uh, like a manual one that you wound with, you know, the spoolie thing. And then she had one very strong arm. Aye, and then she's got someone probably like my dad to strap a motor onto it, which is what people did to motorise these machines. And then she threaded it up and went, oh, I'll just leave you with that, Jane. You see what you can do with it. You know, like as if you would do that <laughs> to a kid now. So that's when I like fell in love with sewing. And I found that I was able to like sew all different things and clothes and uh, and then like handicrafts as well. You learn all sorts of different weird kind of like skills that I think kids would be bored shitless by now because it's not computerized on a PlayStation. So that was always my background and we were always crafting an arty at home. So then spin forward a bit. So then I went to do my degree here in Newcastle where I live, where I trained as a painter. So mm -hmm. I was doing like largely kind of portraity kind of pop art work, but I found that I was starting to incorporate stitching and sewing and mixed media and all of the skills that I'd learned way back in the 70s. Um, so that was kind of my background into this. Then life gets in the way of what you want to do, doesn't it? So I found myself uh, being a single parent, looking after like raising two girls on my own, on a low income, so then art takes the back burner because that doesn't pay the bills and it doesn't look after your kids. Um, so then I had a bit of a hiatus for a while. And then when the kids got older, I thought, right, I'm going back into this. What do you want to do? So I'd always been a mass music lover. Music had always been my friend throughout my entire life. And then like my love of sewing. And I thought I'll stick the two together and I will sew my musical heroes and that's how it started a legend was born a legend was born it was an ordinary day like any other and then i sewed amy whitehouse so 
Was Amy your first portrait? Amy was the first one that I did. Check this. This is weird. So Amy was the first one that I stitched. And then I thought, I'll get into the narrative of these portraits. So because of her sort of uh, the kind of persona, it's all she was always quite, she always looked like she was on the brink of death, really, didn't she? So Mm. I used some like Mexican Day of the Dead uh, fabric for her clothes because I thought that would just kind of add to the narrative. And she just died, you know. Um, And then I just discovered Instagram almost at the same time. So I put on, and my very first follower was a woman in Texas, and we had a bit of back and forth because she loved Amy Winehouse. And then the very first sale I made, which was probably a year later of making work, was her. She bought the picture of Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse was the first, and the woman was my first follower. How freaky is that? Yeah, nice. Yeah. That was a good sign. Yeah. How many uh, other portraits you, you made by the time of your first sale? Oh, gosh, probably about, I don't know, 15, something like that. Okay. Because you've got to show... Did that really help validate you? Um, Yes, it did help validate me. I'm a sort of nutcase that I would do this even if I didn't sell any work. I'm like the sort of person that would make, I don't know, the Marie Celeste out of matchsticks in a shed. Um, (laughs) So I would just do it anyway. But yes, it did validate me because, you know, if you like something, you hope that somebody else will don't you? And then obviously, if you can make a bit of cash along the way, all the better, because then you can pump it into mm. the next picture. I think I discovered you in 2017. I was looking, that was the first blog post we did. And I've still got a Not Safe for Work Saturday blog post that's got, oh God, I know. I'm going to say, Marianne Faithful's boobs? No, it was Janice Joplin's, Janice Joplin's, Janice Joplin's boobies. boobies. And then it was and Iggy Pop Schlong. Iggy Pop's Schlong. Yeah, I know. I know, but you know on uh, on Instagram where I think at the end of the day they show you like um, your most liked post. Well, that schlong was like the third most popular. I thought you dirty <laughs> sods out there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's so primitive, aren't we? Yeah. Um. What? So let's talk about the technique for a bit because, yeah. like, looking back, like you came out uh, hitting pretty hard on the portraits. Like you've. Your technique has evolved, I can tell, yeah. but not evolved very far, as in you were already gunning for it from the start. Yes, I was already gunning for it. But I think things that I wouldn't have approached then that I now have the skills to do now. Um, and also, I suppose something that I've developed is like sewing with more unconventional materials. Because I think just because you say I'm a textile artist, it doesn't necessarily mean that I only sew with fabric. I like to kind of like push that boundary of using mixed media and sewing with, oh God, I mean, I've sewn with all sorts of things, cigarette cards, Mm. newspaper photos, just all sorts of stuff and added sort of, I would say tat. No, like, you know, bits and bobs to to my pictures that probably you wouldn't conventionally think of as textile art. I'll tell you what we'll do for a second is we'll stop and we'll talk about... um... That Gene Simmons piece and the amount of embellishment on his face mask. Oh, no, don't talk about that because that's rubbish. That's way back when. Is it? Yeah, but I mean, from a, from a, it's just really intense. Like, it's one of those things that you don't appreciate. And then I was looking at, I was just thinking the amount of embellishment put on that. I mean, you're, you must have a sense of structural engineering, I think. Um, well, I suppose I must do, yeah. I suppose I must do. I mean, the process that the way that I start pictures is I'll do, I start with a sketch and the sketch is original. I don't work from photographs. I guess in the beginning I was because I was a bit naive about it. Um, But now it's my own original portrait. And also I don't want to get done for copyright. Whack. Mm. Um, So Mm. I start with my, because I have got the drawing skills from doing my degree in portraiture. Start off Mm. with a drawing. And then I'll start to use that drawing religiously like a stencil and I transpose some of the drawing onto material and I'll just put on certain key lines of people's faces that I think define them and then I just make the rest up as I go. Um, and then I'll start to add shading with the threads. Then I add glass eyes because I think if you add glass eyes, the, the piece just comes alive. And the great mm. thing about using fabric on portraits is like I use felt because it's very like robust and you can comes in all sorts of colours and it's very strong. You can do all sorts of things to it. 
it's almost like skin. It's kind of weird. I think once you start making a portrait in something 3D, like textile, it just seems to come more alive than doing a drawing or a painting. Uh, from then on, you start to build her hair up and then the clothes is a great way to express yourself through different materials. Yeah. And so so you learn portraiture at school because, yeah, when you look at your sketches, they're just like... I mean, those stand up just by themselves. Oh, cheers. Get your wallet out then. Let's buy that. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I do. I love drawing. I do love drawing. But like I say, I'm trying to make this certain thing that no one's ever seen. And everyone's seen a drawing. Nobody's seen a stitched portrait. So. Because that's what's the, the thing that struck me as well is that. So you, it's like your character building. I mean, your character building yeah. of people that people are aware of, mm-hmm. but you're telling a version of them, aren't you? And Yeah. I'm trying to show them a, 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 like a different light. So who should we talk about? Say someone like Kate Bush. So everyone's mm. seen Kate Bush. We all know what her face is like. But I want to show her in the way that I see her. And if I see her this way, other people will relate to it. So in my mind, if I think of Kate Bush, I think of like she's very mystical, she's very magical. And I think of her hair, like her crazy hair. And then mm-hmm. I was starting to think about that phrase that they say about women where they say, oh, you've got bird's nest hair. So I thought, <laughs> right, let's have this. And so I've sewn her face and I've sewn her hair going up. But then on the top, I've created her a hat, I guess. And it's a bird's nest. So I made a bird's nest. It's like kind of using the skills that I learned in the 70s, you know, when you would learn weaving or something like that. So I actually physically made her a bird's nest out of twigs that I just collected when I'm walking. And then it even has moss inside. And then it has, I think they're quail's eggs, the tiny little eggs that will fit within this bird's nest that I've like strengthened up. So whilst that's largely nest, it's still a textile piece because the basis of it is textile. And because I say it is, and then it's mounted on, (laughs) it's mounted on material. And then all of my work is box framed under glass, because they're textile, I, you know, they would just collect dust and they're quite delicate, really. Um, so, yeah, so that's great. And then what was good, I, I really enjoyed doing the drawing for that. It was quite a powerful drawing that I could work off. So I managed to sell the picture off the drawing. You know, somebody reserved it just off the mm. drawing, trusting that I would do a good job. So, yeah, so that's the sort of example of like trying to see somebody in a in a new light, in a different light. And is it like an iterative thing? So when you it's make Brian thing, Sewell. <laughs> I know I should I should talk about it like this. Um, no, so when you make something, um, like say you do a nice phrase or something, or you make something for someone, as part of the process, you can't help but reflect on the subject. That's right. So you've made Kate Bush, and you've made her in that way. Yeah. By the time you've gone through and made the process, yeah. your has your appreciation of Kate Bush changed? Uh, I love Kate Bush anyway, but if as I make the work, I tend to listen to the music of the artist that I'm sewing. Because I don't know why, but part of being a hippie punk is that I think somehow magically it sews into the fabric. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but it's like uh, there was someone, I can't remember who it was. Was it someone like Linda LaPlante, one of them crime writers, female crime writers? She said when she writes about the 1960s, she plays 1960s music because it seems to strengthen her mm. writing. Right. So if I'm doing Mm. like Robert Smith from The Cure, then all I'll play is The Cure as I'm doing it. And it just seems to inform the piece more. I think it does. It might not, but it's a good way of learning. No, 100 percent. I think that makes sense because you're trying to um, do your version of an artist. And in order to do them justice, you've got to consume their art at the same time. Right. Yeah, that's right. Because there's only one piece of work where someone's asked me to do it. And I I just couldn't frigging listen to the music because it was so awful i'm not going to say who it was but it was a rapper and that, <laughs> Bleep it out. yeah right, right. and it, i just thought i can't i just can't listen to this and like whilst she really loved the piece i didn't think it was so successful because it didn't seem to have so much soul in my opinion mm. but i'm sure she loved it yeah weird that's isn't it? interesting and yeah do you have a do you have a sense of responsibility do you think when you make a portrait of someone even if that person's never going to see that portrait what, what do you mean, a sense of responsibility to who? The artist? Maybe. Um, no, 
No, not at all. I don't have responsibility to them. I just have to do the best piece of work that I can do. I've got a responsibility to myself not to muck it up because you're only mm-hmm. as good as the last piece you did, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you, uh, does, does one piece come along and then you have to do that until it's done and then the next one comes? Yeah, along? I don't mean. Or do you have ideas floating? Well, right. no, I'll, it's like eggs. It's like producing eggs. So I'll be sewing a piece of work. So I might be doing Shane McGowan. And then just as I'm nearly finishing Old Shane, I'll be thinking, oh, let's do Ian Jury. So it's like a constant uh, flowing of things, of constant ideas. So just as one's finished, I'm popping another one in. Does that make sense? I don't have a time where I'm not thinking about it. I don't have a time where I haven't got the next idea. Imagine that. Imagine not having any ideas. God, that's scary, isn't it? Just drop dead, wouldn't you, really? What's the point? Yeah. (laughs) Do um, you have ones that stick out as being extremely pleasurable, Kate Bush notwithstanding? Yeah. Who are some of your faves? Oh, God, my favourite, right, is the Paul McCartney piece. The biggest, yeah, the biggest portrait I've ever done. I think Paul McCartney is a member of my family. He's not... (laughs) (laughs) he's not just this is why i love doing musicians because music is so important to people it's like if you love keith richards you're bloody maybe you love him more than your wife or something people Mm. feel personally collect connected uh to musicians because music is personal and music stops people feeling lonely and music um gotta sound like madonna brings people together but it's like i i really (laughs) love fans i love like fan culture and I love fan forums um because mm. it like, I talk about the Nicky Wire piece in a minute with the Manic Street Preachers I mean that was in an, an entire like if, forget it I'll talk about it now no do it right so I love the Manic Street Preachers <laughs> like hello I'm Jane and I love the Manic Street Preachers <laughs> um, like my name is <laughs> and I'm obsessed with Nicky Wire and I loved it how when um fans sent him things He's good enough to like put them on his jackets or put them on his guitar strap. I thought, what a thrill that must be to like send him a badge and then you see it and he's on top of the pops and he's wearing it. You know, because like really music stars are kind of like you can't get anywhere near them, but he seems very like into his fans. So I thought, right, I'm going to make a massive life size portrait of Nicky Wire, but with a black jacket just a black jacket and I'm going to go on the fan forums of Mannix and I'm going to ask people will they please make me something to sew on this jacket it can only be I don't know say like three four inches no bigger than that but if you want to sew it I'm going to sew it on the jacket so if you want to make it out of material fab or make me a badge or make me something and I thought if people do it great if not I'll make them myself and I was just got like this influx of people going this is wonderful I'm just going to like sending me tiny little cross-stitched uh, Welsh dragons and photographs to sew on and badges that they'd made. And they're kind of like an arty band anyway, so I think the fans are arty. But not only, Jamie, did I get all of these things, I got, like, letters. So people were saying, you know, this band was so important to me because I played them at my wedding, my... And it's like they were giving you stories of like why the band was important to them. So that piece of work became like a collaboration between me and fans of Manic Street Preachers. So then when I sewed them all on, it was just this like visual phantasmagorica on his jacket. It was just wonderful. And then. So that was that was great. And anyone that helped me, I sent them something back as well. So it was a back and forward. And now that piece of work is in like the Tenby Art Gallery in their permanent collection with mm. alongside the letters, which I think just showed like how important the letters were. And bloody moment of my life, Nicky Wire visited that gallery and got his picture taken next to my picture. So when I received this, <laughs> I was just like, right, that's it. I might as well just give up now. I'm done. done. Because I used to have pictures of him on my bedroom wall, and now here's a picture of him with my picture. You know? Mm, That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I've done um, exhibitions in the past, like collaborative things, and people just, they love to tell you the stories, don't they? The minute you give them a good excuse, a good reason to share some work, then the stories come with it. And I mean, Mm -hmm. You you just end up crying at times, don't you? You can't really help it, such is the beauty of it all. Oh, you're old softy, you. 
<laughs> Do you know what? only since i had kids i used to be tough as nails yeah i bet you yeah, were. Really. Yeah, yeah no i think i think that's true and i think music just is really really important at this point because the world has gone mad politics is mad mm-hmm. people's finances are mad and then i was watching this rolling stones thing the other day and keith richards said like he felt that music was the only thing that people could trust now so i think that's why it's so important I mean, I think, yeah, it's quite hard, isn't it, to sort of peel away? Because I, I would still question if people can trust anything in which Cardi B is <laughs> partnering up with the guy from Maroon 5 or whatever. Do you know what I mean? They're still like the engineered versions of well, you don't, but Yeah, but you, you have the choice. You don't play Cardi B if you don't like Cardi B. No, no, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, I love a bit of music. I think there's something about art when when it's not like strongly commercial do you know what i mean i think that's almost to the point we started off talking well about. i think, I think so you know, but people... yeah i don't like music snobbery if someone really loves gary barlow you go for it because that talks to you yeah 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 Yeah, i think that's it isn't it and who are we mm. to judge necessarily Absolutely. But i think what you've provided is a really nice way for people to uh express their passion for those things because yeah because you've got such a diverse range of portraits and pictures that you've done yeah there's all sorts absolutely all sorts I mean I've gone from like I've got David Bowie I think I've probably done about three or four portraits of him which is great Mm. for me and then on the other side I mean somebody asked me to do Rick Astley a while ago oh I saw that one yeah who's just like been opening on Glastonbury as well who am I to say anyway and then, you know... Some say it was when that portrait was made. That was what the tipping point was. <laughs> it's me. Oh, God. I believe so. I think so. <laughs> and then, you know, I've got, like, you know, reggae stars, like Lee Scratch Perry. And then someone's just recently... I've done one of uh, Maxi Jazz from Faithless. So, mm. you know, I can bounce all over the place. And then Lee Scratch Perry... Uh, was that a commission? Uh, there was something somebody, yeah there, it there? was a commission originally um yes yeah, so that was great so i sold her the original so just to describe it he is like a, a magpie and whenever i read about him or i remember seeing like documentaries about him in his studios he just collects stuff like crystals beads everything he is like a magpie he's like he lives in a magpie's nest then he would suddenly go nuts and burn the whole lot down and then start again. He's absolutely <laughs> right. crazy. On his hat, he had crystals that he believed that he could talk to other people with. I love people like that, that are just nuts. Mm. So I'm like, right, if I'm doing a portrait of him, I'm a hoarder as well, by the way. Um, so I like going into my big bead box full of cracker toys and plastic bits and bobs and just stuff that I've collected over the years. And I'm just going to shove them all over his jacket. So it just is mm-hmm. as crazy as as I believe he is in a great way so that portrait Mm. was made um and then it was good actually because it got used in a number of ways so shortly after he died uh there was an exhibition in new york solely about lee scratch perry so i sent a print over to them i'll get onto something else in a minute so i sent a print over Mm. to them and it was obviously quite a well-known new york area because there was a picture of susan sarandon stood in front of it which was, a, yeah, so I was a bit like, woo, Thelma and Louise. Then somebody used it in, it was like a sort of grime and bloody reggae show thing in Newcastle. They just had a print of it in the background. Then when there was a collection of his work, they asked on Spotify, um, could people send in portraits of him to go on the canvas of Spotify? So when you click on the song, your picture comes up and they slightly animate it. Um, but I tell you what, it's really hard to make money in this business because I only got paid for the original. So like out of all of those things. So this is what I mean. This is what I think it's quite important to explain in the world of, I mean, it's largely, you know, the world's ruled by Instagram really, isn't it? Whilst I can look quite successful financially, it's a different kettle of fish and you've got to be careful looking at people on Instagram in the white studio with the hair up, with the paintbrush stuck in it, looking thoughtful at their picture. <laughs> it's like, what's actually really going on there? I think it's more important to just just be real about it. So whilst I've got all that coverage, I didn't get paid by Spotify, didn't get paid by the gallery, didn't get Did paid by the grime show. So it's like you end up doing things for free. I mean, you're not paying me now, are you? 
Buggers. Awkward silence. Awkward. One thing I observed, <laughs> one thing I noticed about your Instagram is that you don't have as many followers as I think you should have. And what I think it sometimes boils down to is you don't do video particularly. And I think that, like, and, and it's, this is no reflection on you. This is a reflection on the algorithm and the way yeah, the game possibly. changes. And I'm in the same boat because I don't want to do video. You mean like it doesn't reels? make sense for me to do it. Yeah, yeah because I know different. other people who've been around for less time, but because they're doing reels all the time, showing their process, the algorithm loves that. Oh. So it just bangs you under people's noses a bit more. And I mean, that's something yeah. where, you know, like I was talking with um, Jack Roberts, JPR Stitch, who yeah. has got to the point where, making videos of his process is part of his process mm. so it's almost like he's got things clamped right next to his sewing machine so that he can just choose to video at any point yeah. and it's a bit of documentary but I feel like one of the reasons that he's got because he's got over 50,000 followers on Instagram Get him. and I think part of that and this isn't doing him a disservice yes. but part of it is he's doing video all the time Possibly. and he's playing the game that Instagram wants and it's mm. interesting to see because it's like where where do you start you know, because we become beholden by those things. And it's like, I'm a really big fan of like email marketing, because to me, that's permission marketing. That's people who want to hear from me. Yeah. So that's the thing that I focus on, because just when you think that the, uh, you know, you know, the score, then the algorithm changes yeah. or Instagram's business model changes. And then suddenly they're launching something to compete with Twitter and it will turn out if you're not doing your thing in a way that looks like it should be on Twitter, then you're going to lose out there. And you're just like, how are you supposed to do it? You are. are you supposed to do it all and then still yeah. get on with making your art? But let's be positive as well. Like, you know, being like an old bag. When I first started doing art, uh, the internet didn't even exist. So, True. you know, so it is a lot easier now. And like talking about doing these like collaborative things, I was starting to rattle on there about the Paul McCartney portrait. So mm, yeah. Paul McCartney portrait, I love doing the Nicky so much that a couple of years later I thought, Paul McCartney's going to turn 80. If I want to do something to celebrate his life, he is a member of my family, I think. Um, so mm -hmm. I did a huge portrait of Paul and the whole crux of the piece was that he's the most prolific writer of songs, love songs, that this country ever mm. produced. Um, so I depicted him doing that heart symbol, you know, that people do with their fingers. Yeah. Um, mm. In this jacket and I was going to cover the jacket psychedelic style with hearts. So mm. I'm like, right, well, I'm not ever going to have enough hearts because this piece of work is bloody huge. So I put it out there to all Beatles fans via Instagram and my other one and Twitter and um, I'm on Facebook as well. And saying, like, will you send me a heart? If, if you send me a heart, I'll send you a little card back, a little card of the drawing of Paul. So I thought, mm. once again, no one's going to bother with this. And then I got about like <laughs> 70 or 80. But these are like from all over the world. So whilst like Instagram, you know, is sometimes a bit hit and miss, it's bloody great for that and connecting people. You know, I was getting hearts sent from Australia and, you know, the most far-flung places in the world. It was crazy. It cost me a fortune in postage mm. to send the card back. <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. matter. And now, you know... The piece is done and it looks, it's my favourite piece that I've ever done. It's my absolute yeah. favourite. So it's... It is an amazing piece. It's about like yeah, and it's, about nearly a metre by a metre. It's massive. It's great. And it's so full of love. And I think mm. that the love is comes through on, like all of your pictures are full of love though. I mean, that's one of the things you can't not smile when you see the portrait. Oh, that's nice. That's a good compliment. I'll keep that one. Don't know when the next one's coming. So I'm really pleased anyway, because that portrait's got in the New Light exhibition. So the New Light exhibition, okay. prize exhibition is only for artists in the north of England, all the way from Liverpool across to like the northeast. And I've been after this competition for years. I've entered it for years and years and years. And I almost enter it just for a bit of a laugh now, just to kind of let's throw 20 pounds down the drain. Um, but this time mm -hmm. they've accepted it and it starts off in Birkenhead tours to London, goes to Harrogate, to the Biscuit Factory here in Newcastle. So I'm pleased as punch. And also, I need to get it out of the house because it's big and we haven't got anywhere to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wondered whether you were going to, you know, I always wonder if like people like Henry Moore, I mean, obviously he's probably got his own studio, but you know people who do like massive soft sculptures and they're like, yeah. there's an artist um, who she would do like life-size bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
got like six bears in my lounge now. Where am I going to I would those? be asking so how I mean, big you... is your loft hatch? Well, yeah. indeed. <laughs> just imagine that. <laughs> and then one day the grandkids go upstairs and your loft's filled with these bears no. all covered in like cobs. All rotting away. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, tell me about your sewing machine. Are you still using the same sewing machine you started Yeah, with? I am. I am. So this sewing machine is... Uh, it's called Singer Fashion Mate from like the 1960s and on it it's got a logo of like a little special 1960s lady making a curtain or something so I bought, <laughs> I bought this from a market in Newcastle in 1993 uh, which is now demolished and it was 50 quid and it's the last sort of like cast iron uh, sorry, cast metal machine that Singer made. So it weighs a frigging ton. So whenever I get it serviced, it's like, to try and get it into the car. <laughs> um, so it's, it, I mean, and then probably I've been using it for about 20 years. And then suddenly like, bang, that was it. And all the lights went out in the house. And I thought, oh, shite, what's going on oh, here? Wow. And then replugged it in, bang, same again. So I took it to this little old man that I've got that fixes it. And he said it wasn't earthed. I know. So I could have, like, killed myself. Never mind, like, the house lights going out. <laughs> anyway, so he's earthed it for me, thank God. And I've been using it ever since because, right, it's fixable. It's quite mm. slow, which is good if you're doing meticulous things. All I've got is forwards, backwards, and a zigzag stitch. The foot is fixed. Somebody asked me, oh, you must do free motion, like, you know, uh, embroidery on the machine. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what that is. Like, what is it? Before you put a different foot, I was like, I, I don't even know what that is. So I just use a fixed foot and go really slowly. Um, and I can't imagine using another machine because it's not broken, is it? And also, this machine's been knocking about for so long. I mean, what would I have been then? Like 20... 20 or something when I bought it 22 I don't know I can't do the math mm. um and it's like that is like part of the furniture in our house it's been in every house that I've ever moved to and it's really weird I don't know if you've got a, a favorite machine but it's like people start to have like a bit of a relationship with their sewing machine it's like they feel really sentimental about it so sometimes when I put pictures of it online they'll someone will say oh something like, oh my god and get really sentimental and say oh my mum had that machine and I remember her making this on it and that on it isn't that weird? And like, even if they can't use yeah. it, they don't want to throw out their mother's machine or something. So they're quite prominent, aren't they? Because you can't really like if if someone's a, like a regular sewer, then the thing would be out all yeah. the time, wouldn't it? So it is a very like visible, mm -hmm. quite big piece of machinery in yeah. the world, especially if it weighs that. But yeah. Yeah, I used to have a, 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 I think I bought it for Mary, a Montgomery Ward sewing machine that I called Dolores. And it came with like a built-in table, but it was like yeah. blue and silver, almost like yeah. a bit like a Cadillac style yeah. thing. I think that was what I liked about it the most. And mm. in the end, we had to kind of give it on to a good home because we were carting it around. Oh. But I mean, some of those machines are just epic. And and I think that's it. The the one that you've got, it's almost like, like you say, made out of metal. Mm built-in obsolescence not really being a thing at that point so you know it's kind of going to run forever yeah that's right that's very true but I think it's weird as well because like when I'm doing portraits of people I think it's like 1967 to 69 but it's like I did a whole set of four portraits of the Beatles in 1967 where they all had the same formatted shaped jacket but all I did was change the jacket and obviously the Beatles so it gave this impression that they were like brothers you know, because they were all mm -hmm. the same. But it was specifically from 1967. I thought, isn't that weird? Because I'm sewing them on a machine that is from the era that I'm doing the portrait of. Mad. Paul McCartney's age. The machine's still the same. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, was it different when you had to do a portrait of Dave? who's like a real human that you know and love very much. You did a recent portrait I did. Him, right, with his mum. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Like, I like to uh, torture myself by entering these, like, needlework competitions. And if, like I was saying before, if you put a portrait of, oh, I don't know, Mick Jagger in, they will not take it seriously because they just assume that you've mm. copied it from a photograph and it's classed as fan art. So I thought, right, I'm going to do a piece specifically 
for a competition. So I chose a picture of Dave, my husband, and he's quite an interesting snappy dresser. So I thought this would be, yeah, this would be a good opportunity for me to like use some like different fabrics and materials in his hat and his shirt and stuff like that. And I thought I've got to make it a bit more interesting here because I've got to show my my needlework and my sewing skills. Um, so Dave was adopted when he was a baby um, by his mom, Marjorie. And Marjorie was in the Salvation Army. And we've got a beautiful picture of her in the house in a Salvation Army bonnet. And I thought it was an interesting concept of salvation, adopting a baby and her being in the Salvation Army. But what was even better was I could do him in colour because he's alive and well and current. But the picture is old and she's passed on now. So I could do the picture in monochrome. Mm. So that was an interesting yeah thing to do also his arms are quite colorfully tattooed so that was a good opportunity to like use my needlework skill using different kind of threads and stuff to make the tattoos and then to like really like pin it more to the subject i cut up dave's clothes (laughs) with his permission yeah no not actually no um so yes so because it's a smaller scale than him in real life, I needed a smaller pattern. So I cut up his uh, boxer shorts because, because I needed a small check for his shirt. So that's all right. He's got loads. And then I used some like different materials from his clothes to make his hat and whatnot. Um, was it different doing him? Uh, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Because I don't see Shane McGowan as a rock star. I see him as a man and an interesting round you know, an interesting character. And I'm, because I'm a portrait artist, I have drawn and sewn thousands of eyes and thousands of mouths and teeth and everyone is different. So if I'm doing an eye, it doesn't make any difference if it's Ian Jury's eye or Dave's eye. I've just got to get it right. But I really enjoyed it as well because it was it was good to be able to take a picture of him holding himself. Um, but, but no, I don't see it as vastly different. Uh, really, no. Because if somebody asked me to do a portrait of their wife, maybe their wife is just as important as Grace Jones to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have you got any like tips for people about portraiture? Like, what are there any fundamentals you've learnt along the way? Uh, the fundamentals are: if you're going to do a portrait of someone, try and maybe get a photograph of them where they're not showing their teeth, because teeth are really difficult to do and everyone's got a unique set of like teeth and if you get one wrong it just looks really weird so <laughs> like try and if it just looks weird it just looks weird someone can look like really goofy or really like sallow chinned if you get the teeth wrong so i would say avoid teeth um right. like always start with the eyes because if you do the rest of the face and then you do the eyes last and you bugger that up it's gone it's over so if you do the eyes first, in like in general, you could probably recognise some of my pieces of work just from the eyes. So once you've done the eyes, if you've done them well, you're on a roll. So that's what I would say. I don't know. I mean, I like adding things that add to like the narrative of the person and adds to the story of them because I think it's a more it's a more interesting portrait. So I don't know. So someone like if I'm doing like Robert Smith from The Cure, like to me. He's like Halloweeny, you know. He just always, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by him because he reminded me of spiders. Halloween, he's very like Tim Burton. So that, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. like a little weird demonic character. So that's how I wanted to portray him. So instead of doing hair, I use spiders. So I've I've uh, machined his face and I've given him a shirt that is orange and black striped, which is you know your traditional Halloween colours, and then his hair from afar just looks like he's crazy backcombed hair but when you get close it's it's all made up of uh plastic halloween spiders that you would get in like party packs and stuff so that would be my advice to someone try and try and make it interesting try and find out a bit about Mm. the person if they like nature maybe portray them in flowers or wearing flowers for example i was quite taken by your John Lydon portrait, the one with the yellow background. Oh, yeah. Because it was really, it was quite minimal, I yeah. thought. And that was what was interesting. Well, after I was starting to do like, most of my pictures are about uh, 12 by 16. 
and that includes maybe their head and shoulder, you know, their shoulders, like part of their clothes. And then I had a scheme. I thought, well, I think I'm just going to do some with the face because I was starting to like rely on the money from this. And I thought I can knock them out a bit quicker if I just do a facial study. Um, so that was the first one that I did. So I just merely did his face and I just did a collar. So um, that was the point of that. And it does look good and it does work because it's on a bright yellow background mm. and you already associate him with yellow because of the never mind the bollocks. We might have to blank that. Um, because of the no, 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 never mind right. the bollocks album cover. So they're already kind of, I already associate him with yellow. And then, you know, just by like using tiny little subtle pieces of tartan. And then, like, I like to like make little badges and things like that. So I made a few like little sex pistols badges and a few like, uh, safety pins on him but that seemed to be enough and then I did quite a lot of them because I, I like the success of it I thought it looked good and that there's something about mm. because it's right in the middle of the canvas and it's surrounded by colour it's quite impactful does that mm. work? Yeah, yeah yeah and it's yeah yeah definitely and it's one of those things in a way where it allows you to fill in the That's gaps it. exactly sometimes it's good to have like more space around a piece so because I've mm. got a tendency to like try and fill every single little bit of space. So I'm trying to teach with. So can we talk about, because you talked about a little yeah. bit, like the layers of how your business works. Yeah, right? yeah, sure. It's quite interesting because you've got, you make your pieces. You've got a fairly successful Etsy store, I think. Yeah, my Etsy store is good. So um, like the whole ethos of what I think about art, you know that I don't like pretension in art. So I will sell the original. So some of my work is uh, commissions where people ask me to do a portrait of someone. And the other half of my work are just people that I want to do. And I hope that they'll sell. And if I don't, I really love them. So I just put them on my wall. Um, even by selling the originals, I can price them at what I think. But I'm really keen on selling to fans because I know that they really love that picture. So if they want to pay me £50 a month, that's absolutely fine. I'm bang up for that. And if they miss a month because they need their bike fixing, that's also good. That's fine. I don't mind. I would rather people just had the work and I would rather that work was affordable than turn people off. Then, mm. so for people that maybe don't have that amount of money or the original's gone, I sell like um, the Gite Clay prints, the fine art prints. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure. Giclee, Giclee. Anyway, so I, I, yeah, I, so I sell them and they're really great quality and they don't fade and they're like museum quality prints. So I sell quite a lot of them for my Etsy store as well. Um, and then another point is I sell greetings cards of the work, but they're really good quality greetings cards. So you can either like send them as a gift to a mate or you can frame them up on your wall. It's just a smaller reproduction of my original. But I I would rather, mm. I, I think it's important that everybody can afford a piece of work. And who are your, I don't know whether you can say this off the top of your head, who are your most popular Etsy subjects? No, no, I can tell you that. So my most popular Etsy, weirdly, is the Sparks. Okay. Uh, it's more obscure people than what you'd think. Uh, the Sparks is very mm. popular because I don't think there's a lot of m memorabilia and merchandise around them. Uh, Robert Smith's very mm. popular. I think it's maybe bands where they have kind of artsy sort of fans or they're an artsy kind of band. Kate Bush is popular uh, and David Bowie is really popular. So the most popular mm. David Bowie one I've done is where I portrayed him in a Japanese kimono. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that, one. that was. I really love that picture. I really love making it because uh, I love David Bowie and I love how he got really into the Japanese kabuki theater where um, gender roles change within it. And obviously, he's like mm. massively like experimented with his like gender representation as well. So I thought, right. And he was fascinated with Japan. So I portrayed him in a Japanese kimono. And it was made from an old uh, Japanese washi paper book, which is like paper made from sort of like tree fibers or some strange like, uh, like whatever. Anyway, um, and it had like old calligraphy on it. And I folded it up almost like origami and so and uh, formed him a kimono out of that. 
trying to push the boundaries again of being seen as a textile artist. It's like, well, I, if I want to, I can sew him a kimono. So that's that's my most mm. popular David Bowie print and card as well. Are we allowed to ask if there are any that are really unpopular? Uh, Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? When you think Bjork's about the unpopular. Archetypes. And um, Flea from the Chili Peppers. He's unpopular. Okay. He's very unpopular. Yeah. So. <laughs> don't take it personally. Yeah, Flea, don't take it personally. It's a nice portrait, don't but, you know, maybe. <laughs> He's a great yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, do you have any other crafty pursuits? Um, well, I, because of my crafting background, I'm like a crochet nut. But what I love mm. about crochet is it's so mad, you can just make it up as you go along. So if you asked me mm. to follow a pattern, I wouldn't be able to do it. But if you said, make me a shoe, I could just do it. So that's what I like to do. So when I'm watching like telly or whatever on the night i'm just constantly uh beavering on like crocheting something i've always got something on the go but i'm not skilled at it but i genuinely enjoy doing it um what other makers do you admire um well the good thing about instagram is that you have got a community of textile artists and i think that's great and it's like they Mm. seem to be like I will say largely female. I think textile artists are largely mm-hmm. female. Not having a go. Um, but no. they seem like a totally non-bitchy group of birds, really. Um, but one of my favourite is Teresa Burrows. Have you seen her work? She's also mm-hmm. somebody that hardly has any Instagram followers. So she lives in Canada and she does be, um, like traditional Canadian beadworking. And it's okay. like linked to sort of, you know, like those, uh, do you call it first generation? I think you call it, I don't want to get the words wrong. Let's say that. Yeah. But, you know, like the na- native people's crafts. But what she does is extremely mm-hmm. political and extremely feminist. And I tell you why I love her work, because I can't for the life of me work out how she does it. And she does it by hand. <laughs> I'm really into people that make things by hand. Like, I can't stand this current influx of people talking about AI and digital. It really, like... I just think mm. it's just soulless and awful. So if I see somebody making something by hand, I'm bang into them. But she's my absolute favourite artist on Instagram. Her work is phenomenal. You've got to check it out. Teresa Burrows. It's wonderful. I'm literally looking at her now. She is artist underscore Teresa Burrows. She makes, yeah, so it's she's incredible. largely portraiture. But I mean, holy moly. Like, yeah, the yeah. way she uses beads. Depth, uh-huh. And texture, the stories behind sort of it thing. and the traditional stories behind it and talking about women and indigenous women's rights and deaths of indigenous women and how they're not um how they're not investigated by the police properly. And she does all this through beadwork. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and I mean you find that quite a lot, don't you? People are like, Oh, beads, that must be lovely and yeah. safe and stuff. So it always does a double whammy when it, it's I used can't work out how she does political. it and that intrigues me and how wonderful that I can connect with her in Canada. And she really likes my work too. So that's mm. the best thing about like Instagram and the internet, this like instant connection. But the main uh, the main person oh. when I was younger that influenced me was Kit Williams. I don't know if you remember him. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Masquerade. So yeah, masquerade. So famous for um, painting a book, and in each page of the book was a puzzle, and within the puzzle were contained clues about how to find a golden hair. And what I loved about Kit Williams was he was a multi-skilled artist. So he was a jewelry maker making the golden hair. He was also a tailor. He was a painter. He did marquetry. He could do metalworking, silverworking, and he was absolutely crazy. It's like he would kind of turn up on something like Wogan or chat shows and he would just be absolutely off the wall, nuts. He also had like an one eye that turned out to the left, like a, I would call it a boggly eye. I'm sure it's got... To... So like yeah. when you were a kid, you think, God, that's fantastic. And it's like uh, we got his books out of Northampton County Library, you know, because you didn't just buy a book then. <laughs> and we spent hours and hours looking at this book and it's the first time when I looked at something, I thought, I want to do that. I want to be an artist. I'm going to do that. And I loved his sense mm. of story, portraiture, mysticism. So last year, I thought, right, it's about time I said thank you to him. And I'm going to sew a portrait of him. So I sewed a portrait of him. And I'm trying to portray 
God, his wonderful mind spilling out and all his ideas. He's got crazy brown curly hair, crazy brown curly beard. So I sewed a basic, basic, yeah, right, sewed a portrait of him. And then within his hair and his beard, I I sewed on, stitched on, stuck on a multitude of things that related to his work, his love of puzzles, hairs, jewels, all sorts of things to make a magical portrait of a man whose ideas just explode out of him. And, get this, I thought, ah, oh, he's reclusive. So I found this weird mm. website related to him and I messaged him and his wife messaged me back. I said, oh, hello. Just thought I'd let you know I'm doing a portrait of Kit Williams. Here's my drawing. She said, oh, that'd be nice. I'd like to see it when you finish it. So I sent him a, a, a picture of like my final piece and he mailed me back and complimented me and said how it was wonderful that uh, he'd influenced me and that my piece was full of whimsy and he loved it. And to me, that was like my childhood dream come true from like being in Northampton County Library and looking at that book, thinking I'm going to do this to later when I'm nearly 50, actually doing a portrait of him and emailing him. And he was emails me back and says he likes it. That was just like, yeah, man, come on. So, yeah. Um, obscure thing here. So I grew up in Bedfordshire and near where we lived up until about six years ago, uh, there's a t little town called Flittick. And if you go down a road out of Flittick, uh, near somewhere, I think it's just a little farm. I can't remember if it was picked your own or not. Uh, there's a hedge that's got a hair cut into it, and I think oh. that's where we left the thing. So, like, oh, we've driven past that wow. a few times. Oh, yeah. how wonderful! Yeah, because when he hid it, he right. put a cow pat on it. Yeah, did he? <laughs> just like, just a. You can have that fact. That's yours. To really yeah. throw people off the scent, quite literally. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Right, I'm going to come down to my four big questions now. The big because we haven't had enough big questions. I think these are going to be quite hard in some ways. I'll start with an easy one. Uh, what's your favourite book? Have we already right. talked about it? My favourite book? I haven't, have I? All right. No, my I thought Masquerade was going to be up there, though. Well, that is uh, one of my favourite. My favourite book is called Golden Hands, Complete Book of Crafts. So I think I think Golden Hands was like a terrible 1970s craft magazine, maybe. But this book is about, oh, I don't know, like three inches thick. It's the book for my childhood that we used to do projects out of. <laughs> and it's taught me so much. And I still look at it now and think, hmm, how do you make a corn dolly? <laughs> and like, have a look at it. And it's all contained in this book that I've been carrying around. But because the book is so thick, I often use uh, pressed flowers or pressed feathers, all sorts of things. So I grow a lot of plants and I think oh, that will probably do for something in the future. So I press all my flowers in this book and it's held together with elastic bands. So, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Uh, slight, oh, look at that. Um, yeah. Slight weird fact. I, I did a, a show recently about endangered crafts and yeah. uh, according to the Heritage Crafts Organisation, corn dollies is... I think mm. they're just endangered. I don't think it's critically endangered, but yes. they're not as common as they need a bit of a revival. I think. I think they're pretty sweet. I think they're wonderful. They're great. There's somebody um, online that I bought a couple from, and they're God. They're so complicated. It's unbelievable. Mm. I've got one here in my studio that I look at. So yeah, yeah. it's the original cornrows. Okay, uh, favorite film. Um. I think my favourite film, I've got a few, but I'll just pick one. So I love the film about Ian Jury called Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Because, number one, I love him. Two, Andy Serkis in it is just amazing. Mm. And three, you don't get many films that are father-son, that are about a father and son, really, because that's what it's about, him and Baxter Jury, ultimately, I think. And I I love him. I love the music in it. The acting's great. It's fab. I've seen it about fourteen mm. times. I love it. Awesome. Okay. He's my hero. Now the now the big one then. Favorite album. Right. Well, this is no. This is easy. Right. So oh. my favorite album is the very first Beatles album, "Please Please Me," mm. and I'll tell you for why. Um. Mm -hmm. So my parents were very old when they had me, so they're basically like from the war. So they were frugal people. So my dad wouldn't buy anything that was extra. 
So my mum carried around five albums with her from her youth, I guess. And it was things like South Pacific and Mario Lanza. And one of them was Please Please Me. Her brother used to work at EMI and he got her like a free copy. But we didn't have a record player, right? Hmm. So we didn't have a record player because my dad thought it was an extravagance because we only had five records. So all through when I was like little, I used to look at this album and I memorised the songs on it and I memorised who wrote the songs and uh, uh, their faces. And this is when I fell in love with Paul. Like I first saw out of the four of them gazing down off that building, he's mm. the guy for me. That's my guy. And then a couple of years later, remember when people could record an album onto a cassette? Mm-hmm. So I think my mum probably got someone to do that. And I thought, I'd love to actually hear this album after having looking at it for years. <laughs> and like, so you put the first song on and it's, I saw her standing there. Mm-hmm. But the it starts with one, two, three, four. And it's like, wow. And from then on, I'm like, that's it. I'm a music fan. I'm a Beatles fan. These are my guys. And from then on, you learn about all sorts of other music through the Beatles. Mm, yeah epic the thing that always twists my melon and i've said this plenty of times before is the fact that what please please me was march 63 Mm -hmm. and let it be was may 1970 so seven years two months all the albums done and dusted and you're like what because it for me it feels like they were forever you know it was like the beatles must have been like 30 years but they weren't they were seven years oh i just think they're wonderful but um did you are you a Beatles fan? I've come to appreciate them over time because my parents were into them and then we've got quite a few of the records on vinyl and I do quite like listening to them. I think Revolver might be my favorite. Um yeah. because of um is it Let not for, Let Forever Be, is it? That one that's like it feels like a tipping point when they started getting really trippy on it. Um mm-hmm. and then a little while ago Mary and I went to Liverpool and we did like the Beatles tour and we went yeah. to the Cabin Club and yeah. that sort of stuff and it's like the Beatles tour, I think, again, reinforced it because they grafted so hard. They worked so yeah. hard. It would be like album tour, six months, and then next album. Yeah. And and we just, we don't have that pace anymore. So I admire them so much for that. And also going to the Cavern Club, which yeah. we weren't sure what it was going to be like. And there's a slight mm. suspension of disbelief when you see the band. But I just loved so many people that were there, were like having their best day of their lives because they yeah. were watching the Beatles tribute band in the Cavern Club. Like it was mm-hmm. so good. And I loved them. Yeah. So I like, I really appreciate them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Slightly after the fact. Have you got a, so please, please me, 100%. Do you have a second favourite album or are you stretching too far? Second favourite album. Oh God. I mean, I could have like 4 billion albums. This is one I wondered whether we'd go that way. Hmm. Um, I think my second favourite album, what's an album that I just play all the time? I'm a really big Led Zeppelin fan. Of like massive if they're one of those few bands where i have every single one of their albums so i would go led zeppelin three right led zeppelin three yeah that would be my favorite See, i'm not that led zeppelin familiar I'll have to, oh no uh, on led zeppelin you're not a led zeppelinite um well, you should so, get into it it's really great yeah i think what happened to me was one day in when was it like 1984 maybe something like that one day mm-hmm. i went into woolworths in bedford and i got three albums I got the Batman soundtrack by Prince. I got Nana Cherry Raw Light Sushi. Yeah. So maybe it was a bit later than that. And then I got Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction. And listened to the first mm-hmm. two for quite a long time. And then yeah. one day I put Guns N' Roses on. And it was a bit like that. Opening riff of Welcome to the Jungle. I was like, yeah. oh, shit. All right, we're on a ride now. And that I'm was it. I was like poodle rock for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just love Zeppelin. I absolutely love them. And I've done a portrait of Robert Plant and it was the most challenging hair I've ever done. I try and that was another top tip for your portrait people. Don't do someone with curly hair because it's a nightmare. Right. But yeah. Well, that, uh, but but you compound yourself there because you don't you're not a drop the feed dogs and do it. So you've got your own confines there, haven't you, in terms of your freedom of hairy movement, as it were. Uh I, I guess so. But if someone's got curly hair, you've just got to do curly hair, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 100%, 100%. So, last question. What's the most interesting thing that nobody knows about you? Bloody hell, I wasn't expecting that. Um, oh, sorry. I should these are, I should always send these in right. advance. But, uh, okay. 
Uh, the most interesting thing that somebody doesn't know about me is, um, oh shit, you should put this out. <laughs> should have forewarned you. Okay. Uh, if I can ride a unicycle. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah that's Tell me about that. Um, I just set myself a challenge a few years ago and uh, I thought... I'm going to learn to do this. And it took ages and ages because I've always been quite jealous of, you know, when you see lads riding along, maybe smoking a fag and their hands are off the, the you know, and I said, oh, God, how can they do that? How can they do that? And then I think somebody just lent me a unicycle and it took, God, like six months or something. And then finally I did it. I think at the time, this must have been a while ago now, my youngest daughter, who's now 19, she was learning to ride a bike. So I used to go out with her like trying to learn her bike and I was on the unicycle. So, yeah, I mean, that was then and this is now. Could I do it now? I'm not sure. Probably. <laughs> Will you ever forget? I think, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, not being able to ride a bike one no-handed will be one of my regrets to my grave kind of, you know. I always thought that probably the coolest thing I could do as a teenager would be to roll a rolly exactly. on a bike no-handed. And do the caterpillar. That would be cool if you could do that. <laughs> yeah, no. People that can just that's, still that's do like that. Into my brain you know, if they're really fat now and they can still bust it out, can't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they can't walk afterwards. <laughs> that moment of glory. Crazy legs yeah. jump through hands. Um, amazing. If people want to find out yeah. about you, where do they go? Right. So you can find me on Instagram at Stitching in the Kitchen. Uh, no G. Sorry. No G's. No G's. Yeah, that's right. So a good way of finding out about me is on my website, which is www.janesanders.co.uk. And on there, it has all the links to my social media and my shop. Yeah, I swear to God, if people haven't discovered you on Instagram, they're missing out because it's a total treat. Oh, thanks. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, Thanks for having a needle exchange with me. Same to you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange. That's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange with any thoughts, comments or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Needle Exchange. See you next time. Thanks for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n-w-e-d-l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time